Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz, and I have made my way just today. I still can't see. Oh Sorry, God, it's very bright. It's on. very bright. No, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna soldier on here, okay. Johnny. We have made our way to France. Michael Better and I just today, our social media editor, we we landed in Brussels this morning, made it to the finish of today's stage to catch up with Ronan McLaughlin. How are you? Um, good. I've got a mouthful of beer when you threw to me there. So uh, that was on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and Johnny Long. Good afternoon. Unfortunately, good unfor- it is evening. It is evening. We'll, we'll set the scene in just a moment. Unfortunately, Shadi had to go home. Well, we kind of sent him home. He didn't have to. He didn't, have he didn't to. do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's not in trouble or anything. Uh, he just—I think he has to move house or something. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Shadi is out. Mikey and I are in. And we're going to talk about today's stage of the Tour de France, which was, wow, it was a pretty thrilling finale, I would say, particularly if you were anywhere near anybody who was even remotely Belgian. We'll get to that in a little bit. What is that hole in the seat tube of the new Trek Madone SLR? Is it a potato holder for Tom Squinch, a portal to another dimension? Nope, it's IsoFlow, the race-focused version of Trek's comfort-enhancing IsoSpeed technology. Trek's testing shows that IsoFlow provides similar compliance levels to IsoSpeed, but it shaves a ton of weight and improves the bike's aerodynamics at the same time. That means the new Madone SLR is the lightest and most aerodynamic Madone Trek's ever made. Visit trekbikes.com to see the new Madone SLR, and thanks to Trek for sponsoring today's Tour Daily episode. All right, fellas. Ronan? Set the scene. Where are we? What's going on? We're in Cali. Uh, beautiful evening. Sun's shining very brightly in our eyes. We've just had a, for a decent, a muddling, a muddling dinner. And I'm gonna give it like a 4.2 out of 10. If that's a 4.2, then I'm worried for what else we're gonna eat this <laughs> tour because this oh. was surprisingly good. The strangest thing about that dinner was just how healthy it was. I had like vegetables in mine, which is a first for the, the past seven days or so. Yeah. My, burger, my burger was subpar. I will say. That's all right. We move on. Continue setting the scene, Ronan. <laughs> I, I don't know what more I can say. Well, we're actually, there's a pretty lovely square here in Cali. It's not, I'd, I'd never been to Cali and didn't really know what to expect, but it's a, it's a nice square we've got going on here. It's very busy tonight. I think it's the one day of summer that they get in this region per year. Uh, and all the locals seem to be out and uh, enjoying the sunshine. There's a lot of kids playing here in this open square. We've got some huge sort of bicycle ornaments uh, in the square. Children climbing on them, skateboarding around them, fountains spouting, kids playing, snow is falling. <laughs> it's a be- beautiful evening. It's like a fairy tale. <laughs> fairy tale in Calais. That is correct. That is correct. Let's get into a bit of bike racing, though. It was a phenomenal stage today. Uh, not a particularly exciting first couple hours, but we knew that the finale would, well, would throw up a couple interesting moments and it did there was what a 1.2 or 1.3 kilometer climb that came 11 kilometers out it was just 900 meters actually really it was very short Mm. quite short quite short climb came about 11 kilometers out from the finish line and that was sort of touted as a as an an opportunity as a springboard a potential springboard for somebody in today's stage and it turned out to be so johnny give me the the stage rundown if you would stage rundown we we started off in a, the sort of pedestrian manner you expect from one of these stages of the Tour de France. You had Anthony Perez from Cofidis accompanying Magnus Court of EF in the, in the day's breakaway as Court 
looked at Adter's King of the Mountains lead. He swept up the first five of six available Category 4 solitary KOM points. And then it all started, they started to actually race. They brought the break back. Perez was the last man out. We didn't exactly, we didn't see, I, well, you guys are already at the Group Armour FDJ bus watching on the TV. Some of the teams have started putting widescreen TVs in the windows of their bus, which is a really good addition, so you can actually watch the race. I think the first team to do that was Garmin when they had a Sharp sponsorship. Oh, really? If I remember, I'm trying to think if there's anybody who did it before that. There must have been somebody who did I think it before that. That's the first one I remember, and that was yeah. like 2014 or 2015 or so. And I mean, obviously, it's a TV sponsorship, so they stuck a big yeah. TV on the side of the bus, and it... The journalists love it. We get you, to hang out outside and watch the actual end of the race. You know, I've just realized the reason I said it's a new thing is because for the past two tours, we haven't been allowed near the buses. So for me, it's like, oh, they have TVs at the buses. Didn't know that. It's because didn't know what the buses were like. Um, I don't know how much I want to delve into that, but I think it's interesting which teams do and do not have TVs on the side of their bus because Ineos, <laughs> um, a couple of teams, can't remember right now, but the teams that you would think want to try and keep people away yeah. don't have a TV in the side of their bus. Whereas yeah. the teams that are perhaps more welcoming <laughs> tend to have TVs in the side of their buses. Yeah. We're talking about the stage. We're talking about the stage. I mean, we, we keep talking about TVs if you want. I think I think at some point we should talk about the ways that this tour has sort of reopened. But we can leave that for another time. Yeah. For, we, for now we can talk about the way that one rider sort of lit up the action on the TVs. And that was uh, Wout Van Aert brought to the Jumbo Visma, decided seemed to be planned not not on a whim it was planned before this would be a good stage uh nathan van hoydonk drove him up to the front of the the peloton he also he had enough to keep going on the climb a little bit and then it unfell was it who who was next after that it wasn't tiers Benut that's on before him was it tiers Benut who took over yes tiers Benut took over then wasn't Anish. laporte in there oh laporte maybe laporte then Benut. it was hoydonk no, it was it was van hoydonk and then straight on to oh, Benut after that yeah. really so they had yeah. no time to waste but uh, the port was about fourth or fifth wheel. Oh, okay. But anyway, Van Aert went off, followed by Adam Yates and Vingegaard, with Primoz Roglic just dangling a little bit behind. Eventually, Wout Van Aert pushed on, went solo. He still had about it was 20, 25 seconds with about 4K to go around that, and he hung on, crossed the line with eight, sec eight seconds to spare, I'm pretty sure, and he did a big sort of wings like flapped his arms like wings he's got very long arms flapped them like wings across the line and condor like yes I was, you know what for the past couple of hours I've been trying to think what animal it looks like <laughs> and finally I've been proud of my misery um, yeah celebration which I always, I always like it when they like do a proper celebration or like something that's not just like a Look at my look at my team sponsor, or yeah. you know, a bit of pointing. What, what was the you, what was the bird? What was the why the bird? You do know that was still a sponsor related, which yeah, kind of and, that, and that's the problem is that you thought, oh, this is this is why we're not showing us a bit of his personality, but it seems like it was a, br a brand activation for Red Bull does, Energy Drink. Does not have space for personality. He has so many watts. <laughs> there is no room for <laughs> for any personality. Yeah. Wait, was that really for Red Bull? Well, yes. in the yeah, in that, the it gave in, him wings. And like someone asked him about the celebration in the press conference, and he says, "Well, it gave me wings." And it's like, I like I didn't hear a collective groan from the press room, but I, like an imagined collective groan. If uh, I hadn't oh. been with headphones on, actively writing a story, and been listening to the press conference, I would have groaned out loud. Okay. I, I want to clarify here, you know, due to the lawsuit that happened a few years ago, Red Bull does not actually give you wings. Oh, okay. Uh, it gives you W4INGS. <laughs> yes. What is that? It, it's their way of getting around the fact that it does not actually give you wings. Ah, I see. Just in case there's any confusion um, out there. 
<laughs> I was thinking oh, we could... W... It took me a second there. Okay. <laughs> We're on the same page now. I was thinking we could do a collective groan right now that we didn't do in the press room. Uh, <sighs> it's pretty bad. It's pretty... Uh, come on. Like, you you win a stage of the Tour de France. You have three second places already. Yeah. You finally win your stage on the fourth go of it. And you could do anything. Literally you could anything. do you could do a Juan Antonio Fletcher pull the arrow out of your back and shoot it at somebody. You could do... Some kind of like robot yeah. dance maneuver. You Pick could do. Superman. You could do. You could do some boxing. You yeah. could do like, like what did uh, Tom Squinch when he won a stage of California a couple years ago? He did sort of like a boxing thing that almost fell off his bike. That was fun. That's good. You could do something like that. And instead, to choose to 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 do the yeah. Red Bull wings, I'm not sure that I can get down with that. I'm, I think given based on his post uh, stage interview where he showed you know. Almost zero emotion, zero mm. um, joy, and having just won a stage of the Tour de France in the yellow jersey and the yellow shorts. I think, you know, had he not had the lucrative financial gain from being sponsored by Red Bull, I don't think he could have really thought of any other celebration to have done. <laughs> it was either that or just put his hands up straight, straight up in the air. I want to know because that that victory salute that wasn't like a free add-on that he gave Red Bull. Like, there's a rider oh, in his yeah. contract that stipulates how much money he will get yeah. if he does the give you wings victory salute that. at the Tour de France. 100%. So I want to know how much money he just made today. Yeah. Should we ask him tomorrow? Yeah. Will that get us kicked out of the Yumbo Visma bus for the, for the rest of the tour? Almost certainly. And, but worth it. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember Gav actually himself telling me that when he won the stage in the 2009 tour, sponsored by HTC, pointed to HTC in his jersey and did the phone symbol with his other hand to his ear. I'm pretty sure all he got was, well, what he said he got was like phones for all his teammates. <laughs> See, <laughs> back, that I wouldn't mind. If back then, so why about I just got a, a, a pallet of Red Bull? That I'm on board with. His teammates. That I'm on board with. The Cav, the Cav phone thing is a bit more iconic. Was it because was that around the time of the phones for you that, that in the UK? Just, like that's a bit more like that there's was a cultural a, zeitgeist around it. That was around the time just smartphones were just coming into being. <laughs> like so, I suppose for the whole team to get one, they were they were pretty stoked, I guess. But I'm I'm sure there was some other financial gain to that as well. And HTC really grabbed hold of that market, so that worked. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the next time Gav wants the stage sponsored by HTC, he has to wear these big goggles and do it in VR. There's an Ian Trelaw piece in this. Oh, absolutely. Well, let's let's we can move on from that. We we'll we'll try to find out. We'll try to find out how much he got paid for for the gives you wings dance at the end there. I, I'm like I said personally, I'm a little bit disappointed that that's what he chose to do. Could have done all sorts of things, and that's what he went with. And you know, just the the incessant. March of commercialism in our sport. The the other thing he won today was actually the KOM for the climb Cap Blanc Nez Plus Fort Porcentage. Yeah. That was my very best French. And Wout van Aert crested that climb in 1.37. The next rider on Strava here is Tadej Pogaccia on 1.45, so put eight seconds into him. And actually... So the, 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 that can't be the KOM, because so they, that... That's not the name of the KOM. That literally just says without the steep bits. Oh. Well, according we've, to the profile here, it's pretty much... Uh. If you translate that, it just says without the steep bits. Blancnez is, is, must be the climb. Yeah, that's the, that's the climb. Mm. No, I was just going to say that, you know, Pogaccia, from the riders that we have on, on Strava here, Pogaccia is at 1.45, eight seconds back, and he was actually sort of 
reminded me that we didn't actually see Pogaccia on our screens at all on that climb, which was sort of interesting. A couple of other GC riders as well who, who didn't really feature. Uh, and when you compare it to how good Yates and Vinigo were, uh, I just found that a bit, but bit, bit interesting. Probably something we're going to get into later in the. I think so. No, let's let's talk about that moment. I think that that moment is worth expanding upon. Uh, we have, we can sort of ignore the lead out, right? The, the Yumbo lead out. I think out actually was, the lead out is very very important. Well, because they came onto the climb through a slightly technical section through the town. It was very reminiscent of the Paris stage one where Jumbovism got their one, two, three. Van Houten did his lead out. And although the camera action was more focused on the Cofferus rider and the Doom breakaway, <laughs> so we, we missed the actual important stuff that we wanted to see. I love the French cameraman so much. <laughs> it's so good. So we couldn't really actually see what was going on behind, but it did look like there was a couple of gaps that opened, uh, a couple of riders that in the wheel go, which, which sort of give Jumbo Visma an advantage before the climb even really started. It was obviously incredibly, incredibly fast. Because if we sort of fast forward a little bit to the point at which it's just Waffenert and Adam Yates and Vingago, Yates said after the stage, I don't think I actually got a recording of this. I was just standing next to him as he was talking to some other reporter. He said that he turned around to Vingago and said, hey, do you want to take a pull? And Vingago was like, uh-uh, <laughs> I am good. And that's essentially when, when Watt went. Yates just said that he like fully, fully blew up. And, and to do that to not just Yates, but to every single other GC favorite prior to that, who would not have just let him go, right? Like, Pogacar's not just letting him go. He was maybe a little bit out of, out of position, which I think Kit uh, wrote a story about that on the site today. A little bit out of position, but still, he basically just strong-armed everybody straight off the front today. And I think my point is, when, you're, when you come into the climb in such a good position as Van Aert was, two teammates in front of him and you can make your acceleration having already had your team open up a gap for you it's you know it's 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 double trouble basically where uh, effectively those riders who who knows what happened there's a 90 degree turn onto the climb and all it takes is for one rider to misjudge that corner or to let the wheel go sprinting out of it and the gap opens and then we had this situation immediately where it was like three Yumbo Visma three Ineos riders and uh, tellingly it was Jumbo, or it was any Oscar of the years, GC riders who were up there. It was Adam Yates, it was Garen Thomas, and it was Danny Navarez. Who, what's his name? Danny Navarez? No, no Danny Martinez. Dan, Danny Martinez. And the three of them were there. And at least according to this claim, which we can't really take too much out of in terms of GC form. Yeah. But it, it sort of did tell you a picture right there and then. Danny Martinez was the first to let the wheel go. Garen Thomas looked very, very good. But again, was, was it's not it, his sort of climb. It's not his sort of climb. But Adam, Yates, I mean, this, it was not the Glibier today. No, we're talking about like a ninety-second effort versus <laughs> but, versus like an hour. <laughs> exactly. But my, my my sort of point I'm looking to make is that Adam Yates was so good that although the riders who had a you know lost time on mm. that climb and got dropped on that climb, it's not their type of climb. It's we can't read too much into their form from that. I think we can read into Yates and Vinigo's form. You know, for a GC rider. To be able to be that explosive on such a short climb does does actually tell us a, a lot about about their form. That's what I was gonna say. Is, is the fact that those guys are not known to be the Julian Alaphilippe's of the world, yeah. which is the, the, normally the type of rider that would excel on that climb. The fact that they are not known to be explosive, they're not known to be punchy, and yet they were very punchy today. Obviously not to the same extent as Wolf and Art, but very punchy today. That it shows that they are they're flying right now, and, and that may or may not translate to a high result 
in Paris two and a half weeks from now, but it probably, I think, will, will translate to a pretty good showing on Planche de Belfi just later this week. We don't need to talk too much about Planche. We're, obviously, we got a couple days before we get there, but it, if they're in that good a form right now, you have to think that by Friday, <laughs> they won't have lost it yet, you know? And they're probably in with a pretty good shout of like a stage win on Planche. I mean, I would put my money on Yates more so than almost anybody else at this point. Yes and no. Like For me right now, Garen Thomas is looking good for another performance on Planche de Belfi. You know, again, we have to get through tomorrow's stage before we can even start thinking about the Planche. Let's talk about Garen Thomas separately a little bit because we talked to a bunch of Ineos folks today, including Garen Thomas. And yeah, we're going to talk about tomorrow's stage in particular in relation to Ineos and Thomas and Gates and everybody else. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But before we get there, Johnny, give me the rest of the rundown of today's stage. We actually had two winners today because Jasper Philipson crossed the line in second and threw up his hands like he had one stage four. I felt bad for him. What is going on? Well, I don't understand how in this day and age you have the radios where supposedly riders have become robots and it's all the team managers and he didn't know. Ronan, you got an answer? Well, I don't have an answer. I just have the answer that Pippa gave us a few nights ago where she said that when you're in the race, even for the best it. of riders, there's so much going on. You're concentrating on not touching the wheel in front of you. You're, th mm. you're thinking about you're saving your own legs. You're thinking about everything that's going on in the race. The noise within the peloton is chaos. And it's just very, very hard to track what exactly is going on, especially when you have a climb like today, where I guess Jasper Philipson was probably, not distance, yeah. but was probably towards the back of the yeah. peloton. And given that it was so fast and towards the finish, there was one kilometer that Wout van Aert did on his own coming into the finish, albeit with a tailwind. But he did from kilometer four to three, or from kilometer three to two, I can't remember which one it was. He did the full kilometer in 55 seconds on can his you, own. Can you do so the maths? That's over, what, what that's that? 60 some, 64, 65k an hour. It's too fast. fast. Yeah. Too fast. So, yeah. first of all, Phillips having, having to get himself into position in a peloton that's moving equally as fast behind. But then secondly, he's probably thinking, if we're going this damn hard, you know, there, there's nobody can be going harder on their own in front. There's nobody can even go that hard on their own in front. So in this case, you know, and especially considering I don't think the directors would have been on the Alpes and Phoenix radio saying, we've got White Van Aert ahead in that situation. They would have been thinking about Phillips and getting him in position. Mm. If there's any instruction coming over the radio, it would have been about their own preparation for the sprint. So I, I can sort of forgive him for this one. I'm sure he's probably pretty embarrassed about it. And within seconds of crossing the line, the swarm of cameras around him. Yeah, it was. He, he was probably feeling pretty upset at that point. Alberto Betiel put a tweet out and basically thanked him for taking that that yeah. dubious honor off of his shoulders because Betiel did it not too long ago. Do you guys feel bad for the sprinters today? I mean, there's not that many sprint opportunities in this Tour de France. Today was billed as one of them, and it feels sort of indicative of what a lot of the Grand Tours are doing these days, which is they, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, sprint stage, and then they stick one thing in somewhere near the end that makes it not, right? <laughs> you kind of feel like, I feel a little bit bad for Caleb Ewan, who lost another shot, or Grunewagen, who was never in, in with a shot today. Like, I like, while winning, I think it's, he's, he's good for, he's one of those riders who's just good for the sport. But I can see why the sprinters would be frustrated by stuff like this. I don't. I don't have a, like an obvious opinion on it, but like no, no. <laughs> like, di like Dylan Grunewagen, he rode through the whole Dauphiné without a sprint stage, then turned up at the Tour and won it. So I think for him, that's. I think that's. 
his reward for the rest of them. I don't. I I don't feel too bad for the Spinders today because I think there's not. First of all, there's nothing more they could have done. It's not like they messed it up. It's just the way the stage went. Yeah. There was nothing more they could have done. When it's 60 kilometers an hour towards the finish, sprint trains just can't chase down Van Aert. You know when. It's just so fast. It's so, we've talked about it so many times before in the podcast. To close a gap when you're going that fast is yeah. doubly hard than it is when you're going even just 10k or slower. And also, I don't think ASO ever intended for this to be a sprint stage. I think ASO intended for this to be an echelon stage, like they intended the bridge stage to be in Denmark. Or along the coast. Stage. I was going to say it's an Alpha Leap stage. Uh, or an yeah. Alpha Leap stage, yeah. Along the coast in northwestern France, where it's usually pretty windy. I think they were hoping for a bit of Echelon action today. The, the thing is, though, I feel like if you hadn't had Yumbo take it up like they did, and Wild Van Aert take it up like he did, I think it would have been a sprint stage. Like it was, it was, it was five percent off from being maybe not a full sprint stage. Maybe lose a couple mm -hmm. of the guys, but like a, you know, a group of eighty coming across the line. Yeah, except for some butts, wasn't it? <laughs> take Wild Van Aert out, and probably Alpes and Phoenix would have done the same with Vanderpool. Yeah, very true. Where was Vanderpool today? Saving himself Saving for tomorrow his legs. because I've picked him for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, one other thing from today was Yumbo Visma and just how much energy they're expending so early. Um, you know, we've seen it. We've seen it in the last two stages where they they haven't had to ride all that much in the front, if at all. But when it comes down to the sprint, one rider in particular stands out for me, and that's Christoph Laporte, who sort of let out with Van Aert on Sunday, sort of did his own sprint. And certainly had ample amount of sprint to still to give whenever Van Aert came past him, which is not typically the type of, type of way that a lead-out rider will drop off their sprinter. They will drop them off, and they have nothing left to give. And even if they do, they set up to save themselves the next day. Laporte sprinted all the way to the line on Sunday, and then today, we don't know what team tactics are, but on TV at least what we've seen is Laporte sitting further back behind the Jumbo leaders, and he's not one of the leaders, sitting back behind the leaders, and then coming third in the sprint, which you could argue is taking points away from Van Aert's green jersey contenders, but you could also argue is unnecessarily wasting energy. I don't know. It probably it probably keeps Laporte interested as well, but we've seen him sweeping up those points at the intermediate sprints as well because he he does see Sagan as a... Well, he says he sees Sagan as a rival for that green jersey. And, I mean, who else do you see who could challenge him for that? It's easier now to like sweep up as many points as you can, get that lead, and then hopefully Sagan isn't bothered anymore and just sort of like does wheelies up climbs and just makes it to Paris and then goes for a beer. Well, Sagan is already on less than half the points of Van Aert who's on yeah. 170 points so I, I think success for Sagan this Tour de France is a stage win not the green jersey. He's not going to win the, like, yeah. in the age of Wout you're not winning the green jersey. It's kind of like in the age of Sagan you were not going to win the green jersey basically. Sagan has been Sagan. He's been Sagan. Yeah. But but I do genuinely and I wrote this over the weekend is I I I think he's in better form than he's been in a long time and I think he could take a stage with a bit of luck this month. The the only other thing that really happened today was because Wout Van Aert took a one KOM point, it meant Quinn Simmons fell from second in the KOM standings to third, and he now sits still on minus one KOM point. <laughs> which uh, I like that he's third with negative one points, somehow ahead of all the people with zero. Yeah, I like same. that a lot. <laughs> I don't know why, but it just make it makes sense to me. <laughs> Let's move on to tomorrow. So tomorrow 
is Wednesday. It's Wednesday, right? I've been traveling for a long. It's Wednesday. Tomorrow's Wednesday. It's, it's the Tour de France, man. It's, it's just the Tour de France. We don't know what day we, it is. You don't put the bar. It's stage you don't five. Put the name in front. It's just it's a day. It's stage five tomorrow. It is. It's the Roubaix day, uh, which is actually a bit of a misnomer. It doesn't. I don't think it actually touches Roubaix at all, does it? But it goes on the some of the cobblestones from Paris-Roubaix. There are eleven sectors. From what we hear, spoke to Matt Heyman today. Matt Heyman said sectors five, four, and three, because they count down, remember. So that'll be five, four, and three are the most difficult sectors that they will cover tomorrow. It sounds like it's maybe not as tricky or as hard as it was in 2018, and certainly not in 2014 when they did a Roubaix stage or cobble stage, and that was in the rain. Uh, that was the day that Vincenzo Nibali essentially. I don't want to say secured his win at the Tour de France. It was far from that, but kind of set himself on a path towards winning the Tour de France. And then 2018, it really, the stage didn't do a whole lot. It, it was There was excitement in the moment, but by the end, it had sort of, all sort of generally conglomerated again. Didn't have a massive impact on the overall classification. It's tough to say what tomorrow is going to do. It could, it could be one or the other. It, it doesn't look like we're in for any particular amount of weather. Is it hard enough? Is it is it too hard? We don't really know yet. We won't know until it kind of depends on how it's raced. What we do know is that the GC riders are they're worried, they're a little stressed, and they know that they're going to have to fight fight tooth and nail into into every single sector. That's eleven. It's essentially like eleven sprint points tomorrow, right? That's a big deal. It's gonna it's gonna be energy sapping. There's gonna be lots of opportunities to mess something up. There's gonna be lots of opportunities to crash or flat or something like that. That stresses the GC riders out. The exception seems to be Ineos, who seemed to be pretty excited about tomorrow. It seems. I mean, the piece you wrote, Kaylee, is that Ineos's best GC stage, effect, effectively, this tour, could have no mountains. It could be the cobbled stage. They've got Luke Rowe, Filippo Ganna. Dylan Van Barl. Dylan Van Barl, Paribas winner. Yep. It should have been the first name I said. <laughs> Even Tom Pidcock, someone who's, you know... Garen Thomas also. Garen Thomas. You got it's a team built for that stage. The thing that Matt Heyman said is that he's not sure how big the gaps are gonna be if there's enough of that true Roubaix grittiness of the what's the word? Where it wears you down. The Attrition. Attrition. There we go. We're doing, I'm full of words tonight. <laughs> it's stage four. <laughs> Ronan has picked up his thesaurus and is bailing us out every every corner. Um it seems like if they're gonna have an effect on the GC race of this tour, it's got to start tomorrow, and they've really got to take the race to Pagacha, really, because then it can be a fight between them and Yamba Visma later on. But if we get to the end of tomorrow and Ineos haven't done anything, it's going to be, unless Geraint Thomas is in his tour winning form of a few years ago, then you don't see necessarily much hope for them making a difference in those podium places. Yeah, I don't think it's going to have quite the impact that they're hoping for, and I don't think it's going to win them the Tour de France, for example. Uh, we have said a couple different times on this podcast and previously that we think Garen Thomas looks really good. He just, frankly, he just looks really lean. He looks really skinny, yeah. and that is important in going fast up a hill on a bicycle. And so he, he kind of looks fitter than he has for the last couple of years. He's also very relaxed, and I think that there's very little pressure on his shoulders. You know, he's got two other, ostensibly two other GC leaders within his own team. But if he's riding really well and he could take a bit of time tomorrow, if he could take a minute 
on some other key GC guys tomorrow. Maybe it doesn't win him this tour, but it could very well put him on the podium, right? If he has a good run to the Alps and the Pyrenees, it could very well put him on the podium. And that's something that I don't think most people would have thought was was feasible for Thomas ahead of this Tour de France. The, I think any of us will be sort of, not despond, but they'll, they'll certainly be disappointed with how the three stages went in Denmark. I think mm -hmm. they were targeting those, and perhaps also today's stage, as opportunities to really take it to the race when other teams wouldn't have had the opportunity to really just you know control or um, neutralize their, their attacks. So I think with the lack of wind that we had in Denmark, that they would have been hoping to play on that. And since they've missed out on it, tomorrow's stage has become all the more important. Now, whether or not they can make a big enough difference tomorrow, I, I doubt that much. But what they can do tomorrow is put their GC riders and most likely Garen Thomas, given his history with Paris Roubaix. Let's not he was forget, seventh. He was seventh. And yeah. let's not forget, he, he spent a couple of years trying to win Roubaix. And he also won a couple of spring classics, E3 and the like. So he, he's, he knows what he's doing over the cobbles. But I think tomorrow presents an opportunity, regardless of how big the gaps are, to put their GC riders into a position where they can you know, take a lot of motivation, first of all, but then also get into that role that any of us like to adopt where, you know, unfortunately we see them riding on the front time and time again, but it was actually in a recent podcast I heard with Dan Bigham where he explained that it's not really, we, we speculated a lot during the Giro, is it to sort of build a lot of fatigue in their rivals' legs or is it just to take control of the race or are they trying to just make it boring for us to watch or what are they doing? But what Dan Bigham was saying was that it's more to do with the mental aspect of feeling that you are in control and dictating dictating the agenda of the race to the other teams. If you're suffering and it's another team making you suffer, it's a heck of a lot worse than if you're not feeling so great and it's your own team doing that work because then you can tell yourself, well, if I'm feeling this bad, the others must be equally bad. Whereas if you're suffering as at the hand of another team, that's an entirely different story. So I think if we come out of tomorrow's stage, with Garen Thomas or any of the Enios riders in a real good GC position, we could see the planche stage, you know, the return of the Sky Train. Although they certainly have not got the team to do what they did on the planche no. in 2012 and 2014. And I think it was. Can I stop? I, that seems like a really weird explanation for wasting a lot of energy in a in a in a bike race. It, like, it, it is, but as a rider, I can tell you, if you're on the front or you're attacking or you're doing anything where you're dictating the pace it's a heck of a lot easier than doing the exact same effort even just 30 seconds earlier or 30 seconds later buy it. in the wheel of somebody else yeah but you're in, if you're in the wheel of somebody else then you're then you're saving energy but this is you know it's it's like i understand what's, what's like the, the mental aspect I'm, I'm not questioning the mental aspect is like yes that 100 percent. i have experienced the exact same thing and, and agree i just think that over the course of a grand tour you're talking about the team that is the team of marginal gains and 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 data and not it's marginal like, mental gains kaylee not thing not like new. weird mental stuff i mean like you know you just literally count up the kilojoules that you that you wasted on the front of the peloton and that's going to affect them in in week three so i, I i'm not sure i buy it i'm, I'm just I, I feel like it probably makes them feel better in the short term and in and in three weeks later, two two weeks later, they have actually just expended more energy, and they are now losing. 
I'm not saying I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even saying I believe it. <laughs> but, but that is what uh, Dan Beckham, who is an Ineos Grenadier staff member, did say in a podcast. There was some fancy scientific term for the marginal the pains theory, theory behind it. But uh, and certainly marginal brains, any sort marginal of brains, mental gains, <laughs> any sort of mental gains are probably well beyond marginal. They're probably fairly significant. I would say. I'm just waiting for Garant Thomas to puncture and on the first, very first cobblestone tomorrow and then all of this chat and the wondering about what he and Ineos are going to do just goes out the window and it's back to the There is only going to be one of two things happens. Either he... He wins the stage. Either he crashes or he's top five. Yeah. It's, you know... Thomas? Yeah. 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 It should be a good one. It should be a good one. It is, it's the one... I wrote this in the story today. It is, it's like the one hole in Fortress Pogacar, mm. right? Like, particularly since he lost Matteo Trenton, if you look at that, if you look at his team, he has nobody, literally nobody, who has yeah. a ton of experience at Roubaix and that can guide him through tomorrow's stage. He has some very strong riders, don't get me wrong, but he, he doesn't have, he doesn't have a Trenton level rider. Ronan's now looking up one of the guys that I'm sure has raced Roubaix before. There's guys <laughs> I mean, that have raced Roubaix before, but they're not they're not yeah. at the level of it. Yeah. It's not Ineos showing up with the reigning champion yeah. and like three other guys who are are listed as as that, favorites ahead of Roubaix. That that wasn't to like prove you wrong or anything. It was only just to see which of their riders have actually ridden Paris Roubaix before. And I can guarantee you, George Bennett, Raphael Micah, no. Brandon McNulty, nope. Mark Soler, nope. and Mark Hirschi have never ridden Paris Roubaix. <laughs> so the last two options were Mikael Bjerg and uh, Vegard Stackelanger. Bjerg is, is a super strong time trialist and is probably would, does yeah, just Berg, fine. Bjerg has. No, well. But the thing is, it's not, it's not just power it's you need someone to guide you yeah. you you need someone to literally just like follow my wheel i mean what was the other thing that, that adam yates said today when i was when i was there's a whole bunch of reporters chatting with him <laughs> he basically said and i'm gonna get this quote slightly wrong paraphrasing here he basically said i'm just following the guys and i hope they don't ride into a ditch because if they do i'm following them into the ditch like that's that's how these guys are gonna do it that's yeah. how the gc guys are gonna do it it's the only way they can and Pogacar doesn't actually have anybody to to follow into the ditch, so to speak. Like he's he's gonna be kinda he won't be on his own. He's got some strong riders around him, but he's not gonna have anybody that's really gonna protect him. It's gonna turn as I wrote in today's story, turn big problems into small problems. Can I make one counter argument? No. Tour of Flanders twenty twenty two. Flanders is not Roubaix. It's not Roubaix, but it proves that Pogacha will can and will do absolutely anything when he wants. Oh I, I to be very clear, I think he'll be absolutely fine tomorrow. <laughs> I think he'll be absolutely fine. I just think that it is, if you are like, okay, you know, you're ranking everything for him out of 10, climbing, time trialing, climbing teammates, climbing domestiques, he's basically like 9.9 .9 in everything. And then he's like an 8.7 for tomorrow's <laughs> stage. Like it's, it's, not the, it's, not like, it's not like he's a two. It's just, it's the only available weakness. I've got a question. This year, we've got fewer out-and-out -out GC teams. Do you think that means with more teams who have a guy who like potentially is more going for the stage room rather than protecting their classification riders, will we get a pure Roubaix than we've seen before in the Tour de France? Like a, a pure like one-day race, sort of, we're all in for the... I think so, and I also think it could make it harder 
because yeah. if you let the big guys, if the big guys are not tied, like anchored to some climber guy, they're just going to go for it. And that'll sort of sort of like spread things out and pull things. You know, if you think about the Peloton as an elastic, it's just going to yank on that elastic earlier and harder, which could actually mean that the gaps between GC riders is bigger because whether you're in group three or group five could end up being 90 seconds instead of being 45 seconds, right? So it could it could impact sort of the end result for the GC riders. Before we move on to my sort of final uh, cobbles question, which is will Wout wait? Let's pop over to the Girodone and a quick update there. We've actually got two stages to discuss for you because there was a stage yesterday during well, essentially the rest day here in France. So, very quickly, at the end of stage four, you've got Anna van Vluten in pink once again. Uh, she ended up in a sort of three-woman breakaway for a while with Mavi Garcia and Marta Cavalli and ended up, well, just bossing everybody. Absolutely, absolutely destroyed everybody. And then today, another super, super hard stage, but uh, pretty standard. Standard breakaway. Sprint at the end, won by Elisa Balsamo, who is really proving to be just the, this, well, not just a standout sprinter. She's won more than just sprints this year, but really just a standout rider of the season thus far. And we've got a, a diary for you from Hannah Barnes, who spent the day in the breakaway. So let's hear from Hannah. Hey, so yeah, we just finished days five, officially halfway in the tour. Um, yeah, today was another hot day, but a very flat day. It's pretty controlled. Um, yeah, New Nexus, you know, Nexus aim today was just try and get in the breakaway. We've uh, just want to try and seek opportunities and just see what we can do. And yeah, I was the the lucky rider that got to spend 110k in the breakaway today. Um, yeah, which was fun. Uh, at one point, we had over five minutes with 50k to go, so it looked like our chances were gonna be pretty strong just for for us five to fight it out for the win. But um, yeah, I guess Trek and Yumbo know that they've got a really good chance of winning the winning the sprint, and they want stages while they're here. So apparently, they well, the the gap came down really quickly. So I'm guessing they chased really fast, and um, yeah, we got caught with. 7k to go unfortunately but you know, still still a good day to, to be out there and show the jersey off and yeah now we go into Bergamo and some laps tomorrow which looks like they're going to be pretty difficult excellent stuff thank you to Hannah for sending over that diary I've been really enjoying these as little little vignettes into what's going on over at the Giro let's get into our last question of the day Tour de France related question of the day will Wout wait tomorrow this is kind of related to what we were talking about before we popped over the giro you know non uh, gc riders with with a gc rider on their team or not who's waiting who's not will i wait that's yes. the question he's gonna wait he will wait i think despite despite ronan's belief that he doesn't really care for his tour stage victory or his time in the yellow jersey i think wow's been he's been fed he's not as hungry as he as he maybe was before today's stage he's had his time he's had he's the green jersey it's not sewn up but he's well on the way to claiming that he's ticked all the boxes for what what he maybe wants to i mean it's not three stage wins across time trial von two twice and <laughs> champs elysee but that's not the offer, it's not an offer this year could still win the champs so i think he's had his time he's had four four days where it's been all about him and now the time is to do the other thing that he's paid for 
not by Red Bull this time. <laughs> I, th I think Ward turns to Roglic and Vinegar and says, I will help you if you can follow me. And as long as you can stick with me, you'll do okay. But if you can't stick with me, then you've got Christoph Laporte and you've got Thijs Benut, mm. who can look after you just as well as I'm going to do. Um, and yeah, like, I think Ward has made it sort of... He certainly hasn't done it in public, but I think he's made it crystal clear to Jumbo Visma management that I want free reign to do what I do, which is be either first or second on every stage we've had so far. <laughs> which is a hard point to argue with uh, or I will be on the way and you know so far we've seen him had completely free reign he said himself in this interview today he was surprised to get second in both the opening sprint stages so that is a bonus but I still think I don't, I don't think White knows how to back off I think he just he, he wants to win every race that he starts can I change my answer? I'm, I'm a very impressionable person, and I've been completely convinced by Ronan. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of agree with that. Um, I think he will, he will wait until he can't wait anymore. I think that that is, that's basically what he will do. Is he will? I don't think he'll initiate, but I think that he will follow. Follow Vanderpool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we said earlier that Vanderpool was saving his legs from today for tomorrow. I think that that is actually somewhat likely. Or he's just not in great form. It's, it's. I mean, he did yeah. do the Giro already. Like, you, you know, could just be tired, even him. But if if that's the case, you know, we're gonna see some fireworks from him tomorrow, and and Wolfenart's gonna want to follow him. So, yeah, I think that's 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 the way that it will go down tomorrow. And and frankly, that team should be fine without him. They sh they really should be. They should still be among the best teams for that in the race. It is. It's going to be a, kind of a race, two races in one race tomorrow, which is always kind of fun, right? We're gonna we're gonna have a real stage win battle, just like we have in previous editions with with Roubaix cobbles, and then we're also been trying to figure out where all of the where all the GC riders are and, and things like Nairo Quintana turns out isn't that bad at cobblestones? Like he's he's actually Kevin had a couple Connor of Swift making it across groups in the cobbles will be a sight to see. And I can't oh wait. yeah, yeah, like things to keep an eye on. That is certainly one of them. Uh, there's always there's going to be so many storylines out of tomorrow and, and well we will try to bring them to you before we wrap up today we've got a little bit of history not cheese yet I think cheese is coming on stage nine we got a bit of history from Jose Bain let's listen oh boy oh boy oh boy it's time for cobbles today at the Tour de France the fifth stage brings us from Lille to Portadeno Arenberg or in short Perry Roubaix cobbles. The peloton does not ride the famous five-star sectors of Mont-Saint-Pével, Carrefour de l'Abre, or Trouet d'Arenberg, but the finish is where the Perry Roubaix peloton normally enters that final sector near the mining museum. Today's course does include a total of 19.4 kilometers of pavé, including the iconic Pont Gibus. I was never too enthusiastic about cobbles like some of the general classification riders will be today. This is the kind of stage that won't win the Tour de France overall, but can be decisive in losing it. Remember how Chris Froome crashed out of the Tour de France on the wet roads of the cobbled stage in 2014 before he even hit one sector. These old farmer's roads are not for everybody. They weren't for me either, until that changed earlier this year. My athletic career always involved swimming, which is a gravity-free sport where fractures are virtually non-existent. Ever heard about a professional swimmer with a broken collarbone? 
No, indeed, point proven. When I got my first road bike in 2013, it was immediately clear I would only do smooth asphalt. No off-road, no mud, gravel, or heaven forbid, cobbles. My Eurosport colleague, Magnus Beckstedt, who won Paris-Roubaix, convinced me to do cobbles. It would benefit my commentary and insight, he said. The most important advice he gave me was to stay upright, hold your handlebars and stay in the middle. There was no advice on how to be less scared, but maybe I shouldn't have asked for that from somebody who's actually won Paris-Roubaix. The first sector I did was a beginner's one, reasonably good cobbles and no turns. The peloton also rides this Boussigny à Millionfoss sector in stage 5. It's the 10th of the 11 sectors in total. The worst sector of my day on the cobbles last March is also included in today's stage. On this 2.4 kilometre stretch of disaster from Tillois to Sars et Rossière, there are deep holes, grass, moss, dogs and tractors to manoeuvre around. Hopefully the dogs and the tractors are kept indoors for the Tour de France peloton. But there's not one smooth line to be found and there are also a handful of turns. Going straight ahead on Roubaix cobbles is okay. Turning corners is not. In corners, your wheels are actually not attached to the ground for more than half of the time, Magnus explained reassuringly. Great information. Thanks, Magnus. Riding the cobbles is so much harder than you can ever imagine. I felt more exhausted after this short 60km loop than riding 100k and 1600 meters of elevation around the Mont Ventoux. The time gaps in Paris-Roubaix are comparable to a big mountain stage, and that now makes a lot more sense to me. I vowed I would never do cobbles again because it hurts. Big time. But today, at the Tour de France, I brought my bike and did some cobbles again. It's that weird feeling that you just want to do things that are far out of your comfort zone again because they simply make you feel proud. Pride is probably not a sentiment the riders will have today because this is, after all, their job. They are not the fearful amateur that I am. I do, however, feel there will be a lot of relief in many team buses when this stage is over. It's the same relief I felt to still be in one piece after the hell of the north. We're being watched again. We're being wa- Because we've got a microphone at a dinner table in a restaurant in France, we're being watched again from... Several different angles. Yeah, it turns out if you're in a town where the Tour de France has finished, which we are at the moment, uh, a lot of people here are bike fans, and they look at us. The other day when people were watching us in Copenhagen, and I went in to pay the bill, and these two girls like came over and they're like, "Sorry, like, are you podcasting?" And we're like, "Yeah, obviously." Like, "Oh, what, what for?" Like, Tour de France. Like, "Oh, you guys ride the Tour de France." And it's honestly the best compliment ever in my life that someone looked at me and thought that guy could be riding the Tour de France. Optimistic, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, for all of us. For all of us. It is a bit weird, you know. We sit down here. Uh, we have you know new cafe every night, and the people around us just don't really know what to make of it <laughs> a lot of the time because frankly it's not something you see every day it's just three grown men hanging out talking to microphones look mainland europe is a weird place so we're just like throwing the weirdness back in their faces <laughs> that's what i'll say very I true feel, i don't feel bad about it very true all right that's it from us today tomorrow we're heading to the cobbles it's going to be a fantastic stage and we hope that you will join us on the Tour Daily Cycling Tips Podcast.
Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye.